it felt like there was a t- tornado that I could see out the window that was headed towards my house. And I literally had like 10 minutes. That's what, I mean, it was 12 and a half hours, but it could have been 10 minutes. That's what it felt like. And I could see it barreling towards me, but I didn't have enough time to make wise, thought out decisions. And that made me mad. That's Christina Stemble, the founder and CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. We live in a world of overwhelming options, and whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or just someone who wants to make the most out of your time and money, committing to just one thing can feel impossible. That's called FOMO, and it's short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers how they make personal and professional decisions in a world of overwhelming choice. FOMO. FOMO. I always appreciate hearing from you about which guests and themes resonate most. In fact, so many of you commented on how much you enjoyed the work from home episode that I did a whole other episode on how to be productive while working at home. So keep sending me your feedback and ideas, FOMO Sapiens. You can email me at letsconnect@patrickmcginnis.com, tag me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, or on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, or tag me on LinkedIn. Me and the FOMO Sapiens team read all of your notes and posts, and we use them to make the show more relevant to you. On that point, every once in a while, I have a guest on the show who becomes a fan favorite, and today's guest, Christina Stemble, is definitely one of those people. We all connected with her honesty, her resilience, and the fact that she's a true entrepreneur. Christina's incredible entrepreneurial spirit is definitely one of the reasons why her company, Farm Girl Flowers, has become a media darling. Maybe you've even seen Christina in commercials for Capital One. Well, since the last time she came on the show, a lot has happened. She had a banner 2019 and was on track to hit revenues of over 50 million in 2020. Then the pandemic hit and she had to close down her operations in San Francisco with just 12 hours notice. I remember reading about this on the Farm Girl Flowers Instagram account when it happened, and I imagined she was facing an agonizing series of decisions, all with imperfect information and limited time. That's why I invited Christina back to unpack exactly what she did and why, and I promise you she doesn't hold back. Christina is as transparent as always. And then stick around for the faux moment of the show. I'll be joined by Zibby Owens, creator and host of the podcast Moms Don't Have Time to Read, to talk about how she's disrupting how authors and readers connect by taking it all online. She's also going to give us some tips on how to find great things to read right now, and she'll tell us the crazy story behind how she got a deal to publish her first children's book. And now, on to the interview. In order to understand exactly what's happened in the last few months, it's important to understand the state of play at Farm Girl Flowers just before the world went haywire. So I started our conversation by asking Christina to take us back to where she and her company were on March 14th, just before everything changed. So it's funny because when I even think back in my memory to the 15th versus the 16th of March, you know, in movies when they go back in time and they show it in kind of like sepia tones versus like vivid color, that's how it is in my head. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. um, Oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) It feels like a different, I just can't believe it's been eight weeks because it feels like it's been eight years. And I don't even say that like to be melodramatic or anything. It just you know, it feels like so many things have happened that I can't believe it's been such a short amount of time. So leading up to it, we were having an amazing year. Uh, You know, we were on track for 50 million, which I only thought at the beginning of the year, my goal is like 45 million. And we were like tracking more like 50 million, 52, even possibly. Uh, We, you know, January, February, Valentine's Day, we had an amazing Valentine's Day revenue wise. And uh, it just was going really well. And, uh, so that made it even 
worse. And we just launched this distribution center in Ecuador and that was working really well and super successful. And so I just, things were good. I was like, you know, I'm starting off my 10th year, you know, exactly where I wanted to be goal wise. You know, at the end of last year, I'd set some very big, very huge goals for myself by our 10th anniversary, by November 7th, 2020, I needed to have a path to real profitability instead of just being like, yes, we're profitable. We have 0.0001% profit. <laughs> we, I, I, you know, I wanted to be on track to have a very clear line of how I could get to 10% uh, profitability. And I didn't think I'd be at 10% November 7th, but I wanted to see that that was possible uh, because I, I made a commitment to myself that I was not going to go into year 11 working 120 hours a week with no profit paying myself, you know, half as much as I used to make when I worked at Stanford 10 years ago. Um, so I'd already set these big goals and it was, they were working. And so before COVID things were great. I was thinking this is going to be our best year yet. And I was on track for our goals. So yeah, you made these decisions and, and, and you decided to open this distribution center in Ecuador that would make you more profitable, that would allow you to take the company to the next level. And you were ahead of your budget on revenue. So everything is, I guess, coming up roses uh, in the flower business for you. God, that's a terrible, terrible, uh, terrible way to put it. But then you walk into the, the, you know, your office slash distribution center in San Francisco and everything changes. So take us through what happened that first couple of days? The Sunday before, so on March 15th, um, I got a, a couple texts from friends uh, that said, hey, I just heard from so this other friend, it was all like third party, you know, third and fourth, you know, like kind of telephone game that happens to be on the board at UCSF. And they said this, you know, that the mayor's office might be shutting down the city tomorrow. And I was like, huh? Like what? <laughs> you know, with my Sunday coffee, you know, and like, you know, um, wait, 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 tomorrow we might get shut. And I, my first thought was there's no way the city wouldn't let businesses know. 15 minutes later, I'm like, oh wait, what if this is true? What if there's a nugget of truth here? What do I need to do? And so Sunday afternoon, I spent the entire afternoon and evening. First thing I did was call my three senior people at the company and got a meeting with them, a telephone meeting. I was like, I just heard this. We need to come up with a plan in case this does happen. Um, and I, we need to think about all the things that we need to do right now. And then I need everybody, I need you three to come in at six o'clock tomorrow. And we're going to have another plan. And you think about like on your area, what we're going to have to do for this. So very serious telephone meeting, uh, freaked everybody out. I'm sure, you know, the three people. And then I got to work trying to devise you know, what, what it is we're going to do. First thing I did was I emailed all of the growers that we had, you know, so I had on that call was the person that's in charge of operations. And so I had her send me the list of every order we had coming in that week. And I emailed them and I canceled that order. Anything that hadn't already got on a plane or a truck, I canceled. And I just said, you know, I'd rather have to come back and reorder it with you. But right now I already have hundreds of thousands of dollars of flowers on their way to us for this week. And I can't have any more <laughs> orders on their way to us. So stop it. And, you know, that sucks because there's a ripple effect to what we do. Like I'm, as I'm emailing this, I know I'm screwing their companies because they've already grown these flowers and allocated them to us and cut them and had labor for that and packaged them. But, you know, you have to think about what you have to do. And so that was a really hard decision I had to do. And it was really good that I did it because it, 
did come to fruition. Um, and then I put a hold on all of our credit cards um, because I wanted to conserve every dollar. So I didn't want anybody to be able to auto, you know, pay it, you know, charge us for anything. Um, and then I had to figure out, like I started researching, what do you do with team members that you can't pay because we actually make physical product and we don't have millions of dollars sitting in the bank. And, you know, what's the difference between furlough and laying people off and just started educating myself on Google on what you do. Um, I called our lawyer, uh, you know, just all those things on Sunday afternoon. And then you go to work Monday morning and you find out that all non-essential businesses must close. And that includes you. And you have to figure out what you're going to do with your almost 200 employees that are working in your headquarters and distribution center in San Francisco. So what did you do? So we congregate everybody in, in the parking lot, which sounds very cold, but it's the only place that we had large enough that we could have all almost 200 people come into one place where we could tell talk to everybody together because, you know, our warehouse, there's no big open spaces to do this. And um, I had to announce to everybody using a bullhorn, which is just horrible um, because that's the only way for them here in a parking lot with a train going by next to us, you know, and we did it in two shifts even and um, but had to tell everybody that we were, there's a shelter in place mandate. We have 11 or we have, you know, it's 1159 tonight and it's 11 at this time it's, you know, it came out at 1130. So we have 12 and a half hours to shut down our business and we needed to put them on temporary furlough until we had more information on whether we were going to be able to get an exemption. Um, we we're going to try our best to get an exemption so we could come back to work. Um, and then we'd set up a hotline. We had set up an email. We would be emailing them daily to let them know updates and um, that I was really sorry. Uh, I had to furlough 191 people out of the 197. I had six people still uh, working with me at the end of the day. I can see this in my head. I, it's, it's what you've just told me. It's so evocative. And I'm just trying to think, was this autopilot? Was this strategic thinking? Was it both like... As you made these decisions in such a compressed time period, it seems like you did a lot of the things you needed to do, but how much of this was process versus just simply, you know, you just did it? Most of it was just doing it. So it was just like, it felt like there was a tornado that I could see out the window that was headed towards my house. And I literally had like 10 minutes. That's what, I mean, it was 12 and a half hours, but it could have been 10 minutes. That's what it felt like. And I could see it barreling towards me, but I didn't have enough time to make wise, thought out decisions. And that made me mad. And I'm very lucky that I have of the, the six people that stayed, that I chose to, to stay on. The reason I chose them is because they're the ones that have been with me. Mostly they're the people that have been with me the longest and could wear 10 hats. They were the most diverse individuals that could do a lot of things. And so nobody was, I mean, still nobody on my management team, you know, we were just getting to the point where we were switching from generalists to specialists. And now we're all generalists again. We're all doing 10 things. And so like my head of content is doing, you know, HR and fulfillment and, you know, and, you know, my marketing person is doing, you know, web, like, you know, working with the web team to switch over everything on the website and, you know, like stuff that's not their general purview. We were just like, okay, divide and conquer. You do this, you do this, you do this, I'm doing to do this because we have 12 and a half hours. I can imagine that when you're in this zone of just execution, you don't have time to be afraid or to feel a lot, but then you have to get back to the business of like the day-to-day -day running of the business and like keep growing. 
and fulfilling. And you had Mother's Day coming up, which is, you know, the in the flower industry, there are two big dates, Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. And so you you knew like, okay, great. We made it through Valentine's Day. Things are going great. Now we have to retool if we want to stay alive and succeed in the second most important day of our year. So once things got out of that crisis first 12 hours, how did you manage all the anxiety and the fear so that you could actually focus on getting your work done? The first day I didn't feel, I shouldn't say, I did feel fear. I felt, maybe it wasn't fear. I felt sadness, like immense sadness. Like when you're telling your team, I don't have a job for you and I can't pay you. It was just sadness that like 10 years of my life has been this company. And now something completely outside of my control might take it out, you know? And so it was just, it was just so empty feeling. And then, but I was so busy that I was just like, Hey, just go to the next thing, go to the next thing, get it done. The next day though, the next day is the day that I just felt so scared. And, um, I haven't publicly talked about this at all, but I also, as of February, I've been going through a divorce as well. And so there's no like security net for myself either, you know? And so I felt like, oh my, so scared, more scared than I've ever been in my life because I'm like, okay, I don't have a personal support thing anymore at all. Um, I have a business that I am at that point because I'm a numbers person a lot. So I was like, I am about 95% sure, this is going, we're going down. So I felt sorry for myself for a couple hours. And then, um, and then I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to go down without the biggest fight of my life, because I did not give 10 years of my life to this, to just like sit here quietly and be like, okay, well, you know, it wasn't my fault. I have something to blame for it, at least like, you know, some people said that, like, well, at least, you know, like, if it goes out because of COVID, it's not your fault. And it's like, that doesn't help me. You know, I don't care whose fault it is. I care that I spent 10 years of my life at 120 hours a week building something and not having any other life besides this pretty much. And I, you know, I'm going to make sure that if it does go under, I can say that I didn't like, there's nothing I didn't do. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. Now, you made a decision that I thought was very interesting, which is that you talked to your clients. You talked to the community. You, so you did, you've always been, a, uh, had a social media strategy that it's really unique. And we talked about this on the episode you did back along about how social media is so important to the brand identity. But you, you went straight to the customers to talk about what was going on in your business. You made videos to just tell the customers, like, here's what's going on with us right now. Talk about that, why you felt that that was something you wanted to do. How did that play out? 
Yeah, the, the first video I did was the day of the shutdown. So it was really hard to do because I was like, okay, on the day that I literally am going to burst into tears, the second I get away from people, so I don't look, you know, I, I want to be strong for my team, but I can't wait to get into my car so I can just ball my eyes out, you know? Um, but I need to do this because I need, I need to do this to be efficient and to explain why they're not going to get their orders in time. That's literally what my, my thought process was and why they're going to be emailing and I don't have anybody to respond to their emails right now because I need to conserve every dollar because I'm going to run out of money in a couple of weeks, you know? Um, and so it was just, it was just efficient for me. And then the response was just amazing. And then also immediately our sales plummeted. I mean, we went down that day, like that day is 60% down. So I was like, I also want people to know that like, we're, we can still do orders for them from Ecuador. It's just going to be slow. And I don't want all of our orders because people think that we're shut down that they can't order. And so it was just a lot of like, this is the most efficient way for me to get in front of, you know, a million people instead of a million emails one by one, you know? And so that's why I did it. And it was hard because I definitely had to like put my ego away to do it. Yeah. It's no longer, Hey, we're the fast growing company with 50 million revenues. Like we're the company that can't deliver on time, which is a big part of what you do, your value proposition. And we're also on the brink. And you also made another video which I thought was very interesting about the stimulus package. You didn't qualify the first round of PPP funding, which is the, you know, the, the payroll protection funds. And you decided to actually go and talk about that in the media and you made a video. So tell me about why you did that and what was the reaction? Yes, I started doing weekly updates and there were some highlights that people were super supportive and, and our customers, I just have to say, we have the most engaged customers and the most amazing customers. And this is, again, why I think like transparency and real authenticity, even though I hate that word, we've talked about it before, we both hate that word because everybody over yeah, we don't like, it. We like genuine, I think is the word we, we like. But, but yeah, authenticity is, it's been, it's been used to the point where it just doesn't sound authentic anymore. It doesn't, but it, if it's in its truest, like, you know, Webster dictionary form, it actually works. And we are like, they should have farm girl there because we will tell you when we mess up, we will tell you every bad thing that we do too and own it. Um, and so, you know, we were just sharing our, our journey with everyone and, um, the PPP was part of our journey. And, you know, I was really holding out a lot of hope that we're going to get this because it's, you know, I did all the work to do it. Like I like, sat on so many conference calls. I had all my paperwork ready. I went online at 12.01 AM when it was going to go live. I did all the work to do this. And so it made me more mad that the whole, what I learned from the whole thing was, you know, I, I always knew that there was shady stuff in politics, but I got to see it firsthand how shady the stuff was in politics. And, um, you know, and I, I, the more I talked to other, because there had so many people on the journey with us, you know, there were hundreds of people that were reach out to me saying, you know, I applied and this $30,000 was going to save my restaurant. And I mean, there were little tiny amounts. And then when I was reading that these huge, like public traded companies and, you know, huge landlords, biggest landlord in New York and all these people were getting it. And I was like, what? I don't know. I just felt so personally affronted for all the small businesses out there, knowing how many of them are working 120 hours a week like me. And this it is the potential for them to stay in business or not. And I was just like, I'm not going to sit here and not do anything about this when I have a million people that are watching that I can then talk, you know, I can use my platform 
for me, but also for so many other companies. And so we have been approved on the second round, haven't gotten the money yet. So I, I don't want to put any eggs in that basket because most people say it's almost immediate that you get the money and it's been a while. So I don't know if we're going to, but I will still not, not be vocal about this. You know, the thing about this, it's such a good point. And I, I've been talking to friends in the Valley whose companies applied and some have given it back and it, it was FOMO. It's like, here's some free money. Why not apply for it? And you know what happens? It's a, it's a feeding frenzy and people go after it. And then the rules are put in later and people start to realize where there's a media report and people start to say, oh, this is bad for our reputation or we might have to pay it back or whatever that is. Um, but as I watched that, it was so clear to me that that was happening and that there was going to be a lot a lot of waste and a lot of unhappy people at the end of the day. So, so, um, I, but I can't imagine standing up and taking that public opinion didn't mean that you had a backlash. I had a huge backlash. I've gotten so much hate mail, so much hate mail. And, you know, I, I can't say that it doesn't get to me at all, but it doesn't get to me as much as the conversations that I had with other CEOs that literally called it free money. CEOs of companies that have raised like $70 million that I know personally have $35 million in the bank. And we're like, why wouldn't we go for it? Like, you know, the CEOs that have told me they might buy companies with the money they're getting, the free money they're getting. And I'm thinking of my parents that pay taxes on their, you know, small amounts of money that they make every year working 42 years at the same job. And the fact that their taxes are going to pay for this company who where the CEO that, that flies private everywhere they go that is going to go buy a company with this free money. Like that impacts me more than some hate mail I get from people that just have no clue. Bad incentives lead to bad decisions. And, you know, it's, it's in a time of crisis, uh, the controls aren't there. Now, Christina, you did make it through Mother's Day. So tell us where you're going today. I know there's a lot of uncertainty, but give us the future of your business. What decisions are next? Yeah. So Mother's Day was like this ticking time bomb on my head. I, I feel like everybody in the flower industry had this like May 10th, like on my head and um, on their heads, everybody did. And so that's why we had five weeks to figure out how to create the supply for the demand that I hoped would be there and was. Um, and it was amazing. I have to just say, I'm so grateful for our customers one more time because you know, to not have any paid marketing up and still do 227% growth and sell out and probably have been able to do 500% growth if I had the ability to do it, but I didn't. I was labor constrained and flower constrained, supply chain constrained, everything. Um, you know, we did it. Um, but now, like, I feel like up until May 10th, that's all I was focused on, like singularly focused on May 10th in my head. And now I'm like, okay, now I got to do the rest. And my my PR team tells me I have to use the same, but I'm going to because I love it anyway. Um that, you know, that people say never to never waste a good crisis. And it sounds insensitive, which is why my PR team always says don't don't use that. But it is the thing that I am so focused on, like, I'm going to make sure that number one, I make it through this. And then number two, when I get to the other side, when Farm Girl gets to the other side, we are a stronger company that isn't as vulnerable to things like this happening in the future. And is viable as a company. And the way to do that is to change our distribution model. And while it has been the hardest thing that I've ever done, shutting down San Francisco and laying off a lot of people there, it also was what needed to be done. I need to set up locations in cheaper areas of the country. I need to diversify so we're not so, you know, to help mitigate risk in the future. 
we are going to be setting up Miami shortly and then a few other ones throughout the United States as well. So Christina, it's amazing to think about this. I'm like shaking my head. I just looked at the date of our first conversation when we met. Do you remember when that was? I'm curious. No, I would love to know though. It was July of 2019. Okay. So that's like 10 months ago, 10 months only. Um, So much has happened. Like it's kind of blowing my mind right now, but, but what I want to ask you is this. Okay. So Christina today gets in Patrick McGinnis's time machine, magic time machine, goes back to that day and gets to talk to Christina, July, 2019. What's the advice she gives to herself? Sleep a lot right now because you're not going to later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. The advice. I would probably probably just tell myself that the next more than 12, like 18 months are probably going to be the hardest of your life. But don't give up. Just don't give up. Christina Semble. Best of luck and thanks. And we'll have you back in the future, I'm sure. I would love to come back, Patrick. Thanks for having me this time again. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now it's time for the foam moment of the show. And today I'm joined by Zibby Owens, creator and host of the podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read. She's also been hosting a series of interviews on Instagram Live to help authors to get the word out about their books at a time when all of the bookstores are closed. I love the idea. Zibby and I did an Instagram Live together, and I asked her to come on the show to help us to find great things to read right now. Because let's face it, we're all spending way too much time on our screens. But to start our conversation, I asked Zibby how she managed to turn a passion project into a business. I had been writing a bunch of essays when my husband said, you should really make those into a book. And I said, ugh, moms don't have time to read books. So then I had the title. I thought at first I'd use it for a book. Then I thought, well, a friend had recommended I start a podcast, which had never occurred to me in a million years. And I thought, well, I guess I could do a podcast. I don't know. So I Googled it and I was like, well, if I were to do a podcast, what would I even do a podcast about? And I've always been somebody who is always ripping out articles and sending them to friends and forwarding things and recommending books and reading things. So I thought, well, I guess I could try to talk to authors directly and just interview them. And I had done a lot of interviewing just for reported pieces for different magazines. So I thought, well, I don't know. I'll try. I'll start with the two authors I know. And I loved it. And then I just started doing more of them. And that's how it started. Um, I've now been able to expand by doing live events in my home. This is before. 
like before coronavirus. Um, I had a lot of events. I then I would always think of these new ideas, like, hey, maybe I'll have a book fair and I'll have I'll sell all the books that I've had on my podcast in my house and invite all the authors to come. And then since the coronavirus, I've taken all that virtually and I'm doing Instagram lives every day. And I also started a virtual book club and some other initiatives. So um, I've just been trying to keep up um, and also change a little bit how people find out about books. And what I love about this story is it brings together a lot of the themes we talk about on the show. Number one, you started it as a 10% entrepreneur. So you did it part-time, you tested it. You started out with a friend having them over to your house. Didn't cost you any money. And then slowly as you learn, you got deeper into it. And it's it's a really um, powerful way of moving things online right now, which is something that a lot of us are doing. So thinking about how we can pivot our offline activities online, where I think you're finding out, and I am too, there's even more power to your work because you can, it's so much more scalable. Now, given the fact that you're a literary tastemaker and we're all trying to start reading again, how should we select books for ourselves and for our kids? I think turning to experts, but also, and then also checking if somebody that you've always loved has something new out because they might rereading things that you already have that you haven't read in a while. I find that that's also something really great to do right now, especially because shipping can be hard and ordering. So just turning to whatever's on your shelf, just opening them again. Um, so those are, those are some of the things I would recommend. Yeah. And it's, it's true. There are certain books. There's a couple of books that I love. Um, I love To Kill a Mockingbird. I love Bright Lights, Big City. And I've read them all multiple times. What's up, Jay McInerney, if you're listening. And I, um, every time I read them, I get so much more out of them. So I think that's a really good idea. I hadn't even thought of that yet. So maybe I'll read Bright Lights, Big City tonight. To wrap up, you have big news. You just signed a two book deal for a children's book. And so first of all, congratulations. But second of all, a, a lot of people ask me how to publish a children's book. And I always say, well, listen, like nonfiction business books, are, it's a whole different world. So for those people who have a children's book in them, what is your advice to getting published? My route to getting published was so untraditional. Um, I tried to sell other children's books along the way, going the traditional route, I got an illustrator myself, I wrote it, I pitched to an agent, and everyone's like, yeah, no thanks. Um, the way this ended up happening is I met an editor through one of the authors from my podcast, and she said, have you thought about writing children's books? And I was like, yes, I've written a bunch that you know nothing ever happened with. I mean, I write stuff all, I'm with, I have four kids, so I'm constantly inventing stories as a lot of parents probably are doing, and then I write them down. Um, and then she said, well, I have a drawing of a character and I think I have her name, but I don't know anything about her story. I don't know what her book would be. Here's her name. Here's the picture. What would you make a children's book about? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Let me think about that. And then like two minutes later, I'm like, okay, well, here's what I would do. And she's like, that's perfect. And she literally taught me how to write a children's book. And I wrote it in like an hour or two. We went through a couple drafts. The whole thing was like a couple hours. And and that was that. And it's just so crazy because I've been working on these other book projects for years. Like <laughs> I've been trying to sell this novel and edit this novel and rewrite it and a memoir and this and that. And it's been like this endless 20 year process trying to sell something. And then this book just like fell in my lap. So I don't know. The publishing world is a strange place, but I'll take it. You just have to keep going for it. I mean, I think your story, which I love about that story, is like you you were in the book world, you've written, it's not like you're just coming out of nowhere and you still got rejected a bunch of times, but you kept on going and you found a creative way to do it. So that's pretty inspiring. Uh, Zivi Owens will be looking for the book and uh, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. FOMO. 
And that's the end of another episode. If you have an idea, a story, or a question, you can find me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, and at www.patrickmcginnis.com, where you can also take the official FOMO Sapiens diagnostic and find out if you're a FOMO Sapiens. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Network. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it at Spotify and at iTunes. And as always, you can find me at patrickmcginnis.com.